Welcome to an NJ Spotlight Roundtable, Defining the Diploma, a conversation about the 21st century high school graduate. This program was recorded Thursday, March 7th, 2019 at the Union County Vocational Technical High School in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. In this program, a wide-ranging conversation with New Jersey Education Commissioner Lamont Rapallet as we examine the career and higher education opportunities for New Jersey's high school graduates. The event is the first in a multi-part NJ Spotlight Roundtable series, Defining the New Jersey High School Diploma. Now let's go to the lectern where NJ Spotlight CEO and education reporter John Mooney will introduce today's program. Welcome to our new home. This is, in, this is my living room. It's actually, it's actually Rachel's living room rug. So, uh, <laughs> and her kids were wondering why is she taking up the rug in the middle of the night. Uh, my name is John Mooney, uh, founding editor of NJ Spotlight. and. We're thrilled to have you here um, at this wonderful school um, in, in, in really great space. It's a little different for, we're usually in hotel ballrooms and, and this is a, a new and different experience for us. Um, as, as we've advertised, this is really uh, hoping to be an opening conversation um, around the issues of, of high school graduation. What does a diploma stand for? Uh, what do we want of, of our high school graduates and what are we preparing them for? And ultimately, how do we measure that or bring some accountability to that as well? And I was trying to figure out how to do it. We're going to do, ultimately do three or four, at least three or four events around it, some of which will dive deeper into specific issues um, like testing and, and STEM and some of those things. But I wanted an opening one uh, conversation. And the Commissioner of Education, uh, Dr. Repellet, uh, was gracious enough to be willing to come and speak with us. And I said, all right, who do I put in the room with them? And I know a few of you out there are saying, you know, uh, where's business and where's higher ed and, and those things. And I said to myself, I'd, I'd like to put some of his peers in the room. Uh, former high school principal himself in Carteret, is yes. that right? Yes. Um, I said, let's get some principals uh, who, who know, um, who are on the front lines of this discussion uh, and, and have a conversation, literally a conversation as opposed to a panel discussion uh, per se, and, and talk about some of them. And, and what's wonderful uh, I have in my hand, you, you all, a lot of you have, have also submitted questions as part of the registration, and, and really good ones. I, I hope to get to a lot of them. Um, so that will be the point of it. Uh, we certainly um, have uh, a lot on our plate, and, and we'll go for as, as long as we can. Um, I want to especially uh, thank um, the Union County Vocational and Technical School for doing all this. And um, you, you may wonder what our backdrop is. It's not a torture chamber. Um, I swear, Commissioner, nothing there. Um, it's, it's actually the set of, uh, they're putting on a production of Adam's Family. And, um, and so, and we said, leave it up. It's perfect. You know, and, and that's, uh, that, if, if you can see our, our coat of armor in the back is, uh, we, we said, leave that guy out there. There was also a big throne um, that we were thinking of putting the commissioner in, um, but it was a torture throne where you pull the handle, something comes up, and we're like, no, no, that's, that's not gonna work. I think his, his communication staff said, don't do that. Um, so, um, but it's amazing, the kids outside of their culinary school, um, and you know, we're here bright and early, and volunteering to be here and put together, you know, please eat their food, uh, I mean, and drink their <laughs> coffee. It's really, if, if you were able to stop, it's really a, a testament to the school. And I wanna introduce um, their superintendent, uh, Gwen Ryan, to say a few words, um, and then we'll get the program going. 
Good morning. Good morning. I promise I won't take up too much of your time, but I wanted to welcome everyone to the Union County Vocational Technical Schools. We are honored to host New Jersey Spotlight's roundtable discussion here today and thank John Mooney and his staff for using us as a venue. We are very pleased to welcome our Commissioner of Education, Dr. Repolette, and his staff um, and all the panelists who are here for uh, the participation in the discussion panel today. I thought that um, it would be appropriate for me to tell you a little bit about our school district while you're here. The Union County Vocational Technical School serves over 2,000 students in a variety of programs. Our student body well represents the 21 municipalities in Union County. We have full-time career academies, thriving shared time programs, which include programs specifically designed for self-contained special education students. We have adult and continuing education programs, including apprenticeship programs. We also have two alternative high schools, one which serves students who are recovering from substance abuse addiction, and one which serves out-of-school youth who are committed to earning their high school diplomas. We have programs for every type of learner, and as a vocational technical school district, giving our stu students marketable job skills, which prepare them for careers beyond their post-secondary uh, goals, is foundation to all that we do. We are grateful for a long-standing and continued support from our Board of Education and the Union County Board of Chosen Freeholders, who advance our programs, our vision, and our expansion. Um, as Mr. Mooney said, I wanted to take a minute to recognize and thank our culinary arts students and their instructor um, for their assistance this morning. They were here at 6 a.m., um, some of them uh, 6.30, and their, uh, for their assistance. And also thank uh, the Academy for Performing Arts instructors, uh, Mr. Bobish, Mr. Salek, and Mr. Collins. And of course, their fearless leader, Mrs. Douglas Jackson. I think she's in here somewhere. Um, they've done a lot of work to prepare for today. Um, so uh, Mr. Mooney also mentioned the set behind the scenes, so I'm going to give a shameless plug for their performance. The Adams Family, which uh, they're performing at the Union County Performing Arts Center mm -hmm. next Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Awesome. There are flyers out in the lobby. Yeah. If you would like to <laughs> attend, we'd love to have you. Um, so please, um, come join us if you're able. Um, and then for those of you who have a bit of time, at the conclusion of the event and would like to learn more about our campus, we'd love to show you around. There will be students and staff waiting in the lobby to give tours if you have the time. Okay, thank you. And I'd, uh, next I'd like to introduce Steve Shallot, our business development director, um, who will say a few words about our sponsors other than Union County Votech. Thanks, John, and thanks, Gwen, and thanks everyone for being here. I'm Steve Shallot. Uh, business Development Director for NJ Spotlight, and uh, it's, it's my pleasure as well to, um, to welcome you as well as put this, help put this show on and, and welcome our, our uh, panelists to have this great discussion. Um, I would very much like to thank our sponsors without whom this kind of work would not be possible. Uh, we're grateful for the ability to illuminate um, important issues in the state, this, uh, today's conversation certainly being among them. Um, I'd like to thank the uh, ETS, Educational Testing Service which is a not-for-profit, New Jersey-based, educational assessment industry leader. ETS is committed to its mission of advancing quality and equity in education, and they strive to provide innovative and meaningful measurement solutions that improve teaching and learning, expand educational opportunities, and inform policy. I'd like to thank also the New Jersey Principals and Supervisors Association, also known as the NJPSA, which provides numerous membership professional services to nearly 6,700 principals, assistant principals, supervisors, directors, 
and other school district leaders. It's dedicated to the promotion of ed educational excellence by way of government advocacy, legal assistance, leadership programs, professional learning, and retirement counseling. Through its professional learning division, the Foundation for Educational Administration, FEA, the association offers its members the most dynamic, informative, and necessary training opportunities on a multitude of timely and relevant topics. And of course, special thanks to the Union County Vocational Technical Schools for providing us with their wonderful venue today for our event. Thanks very much. And I just want to add about um, our sponsors, you know, without their support, um, and uh, several of you are, or all of you are here today, um, we couldn't be able to do this for free for you folks. So, um, you know, there's a direct benefit. It not only uh, supports uh, Spotlight and what we try to do, but it allows these things to be open to the public and, and at no cost. So, um, let's get going. Um, one last, uh, you know, introduction on, on what's next. As some of you may have heard, uh, NJ Spotlight got married this week. Um, we, uh, we're, we, it's somewhat of an arranged marriage. Uh, we were acquired by WNET Public Television to be a partner of NJTVs uh, going forward, uh, be their digital partner and, and all the possibilities. After nine years, it's a, a, a new chapter for us and, and a really exciting one. And um, as such, we're gonna be working a lot more with them in a variety of projects. They have different pursuits and aspirations, from the performing arts to medical science to auto mechanics. For these five students in Union County, a simple question, what do they want their high school diploma to do for them in 2019? A high school diploma is basically a way of saying I've spent the past four years preparing myself to either go into the career field I want to go into or continue my education in a field I'm particularly interested in. You should be able to show both in the sense that you're ready, you're mentally you have the mental capacity to move on to college and also have a job. Well, not only to just establish that I made it through high school, but to ensure that I have like the knowledge, the um, self-drive in a way so I can accomplish my goals in life. I want colleges to see that I am ready and that I am qualified to be in their programs. Ready for what? I guess all of their programs and um, building my acting career. It should represent that you're ready to tackle on whatever further education you need to go into and it also shows that you are a competent individual who's able to go through these four years and is able to apply themselves into the workforce for like a starter job or something like that. Passing the park test to measure readiness for college or career had been required for 2021 graduates until a court struck down the test. From what I remember of it, uh, it reminded me of the SAT a bit, very similar standardized test in testing our knowledge in English skills, writing, reading. As we know, the part testing is designed to make us fail. Not to be too blunt about it, but it should, <laughs> it should prepare us to not only be like scholars or learners, but also it should prepare us to like the real outside world. It wasn't that bad. I ended up actually getting perfect scores on both parts, so yay for me. But I don't really think that it should define a person in terms of like how good they are because it's just math and reading. The park test is being phased out so what do these students think should be used to assess their readiness for graduation, for college, or career? If you take all my passions and all that aside and you look at how I've done in school, I think that yes not everyone 
can be amazing in every course because we're not all perfect. But I think that it's really important to show growth and progress and just to show commitment and motivation within your classes. Something with hands-on, like maybe an interview now, like me and you are talking right now, and how, and how prepared that we have communication skills, people skills, because and in order to like have like people skills in general, because that's what we need in the real world too, not just academics. There should be a test to show what you're, like I'm saying, what you're good at. And what you've learned? Yeah, what you've learned, yes. But not in order to graduate? Yes, but not in order to graduate. Why do you feel that way? Because everybody learns a different way. What should be the determinants for graduation? What I think is the most important factor is the fact that you were able to go through these four years and passing all the courses. That should be a term for graduation on its own. And um, there could also be other things that you could put into Like standardized testing, while it should not be the end-all factor of graduation, it should be a component to test your general knowledge. But if someone does bad on standardized testing, they shouldn't be penalized for it. They should be also evaluated for everything else that they've done. I think what should have the most weight um, is, and I'm glad you brought it up, is critical thinking. Because um, something else I was thinking about is that although we all have our particular interests, whether I'm interested in computer engineering, he's interested in going into medicine, mechanical engineering, those things can change. because, And that happens to a lot of people. Once you go into the workforce, you start out with something, and by the, the end, when you're going to retire, your life's taking so many different courses. So we have a lot of different technical skills, but something that'll stay consistent throughout all those job fields is our ability to think critically, to be able to analyze problems and to work with other people as well. All five of these juniors and seniors plan to pursue college and their passions. Emmanuel will take the Automotive Service Excellence exam in May and by graduation in June will be a certified automotive mechanic and bound for Rutgers University. Great. That's good. Excellent. Wonderful. Okay, we're done now, we can go. No. <laughs> that was wonderful. So let's start the conversation. Um, excuse me. Here we go. Um, and I welcome you all. Um, I will uh, introduce each of you. I know that's in the, um, the uh, program uh, as well, but I, I really, you know, so thankful that you would, you would join us for this, and, and this conversation, and, and uh, seeing where it will go. I will start with the commissioner, because you're the commissioner, um, <laughs> and uh, you're sitting in the middle. Um, but one of the questions, I, I want to, you know, let's play a little bit of a game here. Um, and, you know, you've, you've heard the kids speak. And tell me, and I'll ask all, each of you this, tell me if there's one thing that you think a high school graduate in New Jersey should be able to know or do. Uh, and um, you can be general or specific, and, and give me a sentence or two. Uh, what do you think it should be? First, I want to thank you for having the students. I believe it's very important that as educators we get students' perspective. I think at times adults kind of tend to give their perspective, but it's always nice to hear exactly what they want. Um, right now, I think a young man said, a young lady said it before, think critically, right? You know, we want to create thought leaders. We want individuals to be able to, to be able to be innovative and creative and entrepreneurial, but be able to uh, tackle assignments and tackle tasks based off of their skills in regards to how to deal with them. Right? We understand in New Jersey we have an, a great educational system. We constantly rank in the top in the country, academics. So I think our standards are in place. I think the rigor. I think the educators are, are dynamic. 
Um, I think it's important, as a young person said there, to be able to graduate know if I want to go on a different pathway, I have the ability to do that, the skill set, right? That Those prerequisite skills that you get, reading, writing, arithmetic. I think it's more important, can we think critically? Are we logical in what we do? And, and also bring the character piece, right? Integrity, uh, you're talking about grit. I think those are some of the things that we need to have so our students can be successful post-secondary. Okay, great. Uh, Karen, uh, principal of Hillsborough High School. Um, one of the uh, pieces of this is you can't repeat anything that is said before you. So, um, so what, what else do you think um, every uh, high school graduate should know or be able to do? I would like uh, high school graduates to be able to walk into almost any situation and figure out what tools they need, whether it's an academic situation, a career situation, collegiate situation. Um, walk in, figure out what tools they need, and know the process that's required in order to get the task done. Um, after a typical school environment, you don't live by periods, you don't live bell to bell, you don't live single subject to single subject. You live in a very heavily integrated world. And um, I think one of the most critical things is being able to have our students sit down as young adults and adults and uh, future, future people in the workplace and just really be open to just the problem solving that is necessary um, to get it to accomplish a certain task figuring out what avenues they need to pursue so that, uh, you know, if they want to build a robot, they can, it's almost a toss-off. I, 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 you know, they can simply say something like, um, I guess we'll have to do some algebra to figure that out. But algebra isn't just the focus. The focus is on what math skill do I need in order to get my robot to do what I want it to do. Great. Some overlap there, but that was Some good. overlap, yeah, but. Sorry. Um, Michael. Michael Parent, uh, principal of uh, Passaic County Technical Institute up in Wayne. Um, and, and a shout out to that school as well. A fabulous uh, campus that, that I'm sure he'd be happy to take you on a tour of as well. <laughs> um, okay, what else? I have to say, um, the one thing that we concentrate on mostly with our students, regardless, anyway, we are a career and technical education school and a full comprehensive. Our we don't have share time. Full on high school experience on both sides. What we take most pride in and what really gives us the greatest pleasure when we meet graduates, the thousands of graduates out in the community when years later, and what we love hearing from our employers and love hearing from um, our college professors or anybody that ever meets our students, is that our students are able to present themselves well. If they can speak well, carry themselves with integrity to any situation, um, that is what I believe marks the true, uh, is a true indicator that they're mature, that they're ready to handle situations when they can present themselves responsibly, um, with integrity, and they're accountable. Those are the types of things that we look for in our graduates. Um, listen, you can be a scholar, you can be uh, an A student, a B student, that's really up to the students. I don't gauge the success of my school based on the grades my students get. I gauge the success of my school and our graduates based on how well they present themselves to the world. They speak well. Do they carry themselves in situations that are called for? Um, are, they f are they fair and honest? Do they demonstrate integrity? Do they take accountability? Are they responsible for what they do and say? That, to me, is the mark. How you measure that in a test is impossible. I think the, the complete picture, the holistic of a student is what is really, what, what you know, the whole saying, you know, what can be measured in matters. 
uh, doesn't matter, but what, whatever. <laughs> if we don't want, we, what we cannot actually touch and see, you know, with our students, we can't put on paper, is what really I think all of us would want, for, even for our own kids. I think what we want for our own children is what we really should have for our own you know, high school graduates. So, you know, that whole composite picture of them, I love for you to do as excellent as you can in school, but ultimately, a decent man, a decent woman that the world sorely needs these days, that's what I look for in a graduate. I've always said as a parent um, of two, two sons that you can behave how you behave at home, but in public, you got to be. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what matters. How many, uh, give me a quickly, um, your students, Michael, uh, how many rough, roughly percentage go to college, career? I mean, do you have sure, a Sure, we have uh, currently 3,700 students on campus. Uh, wow, growing, okay. as we're growing, we'll be about 4,000 next year. Um, approximately 70, 8% of our students go on to four-year school, another 30, 20 going on to two-year. We do have a percentage of growing students going on to uh, straight to career, especially, and honestly, uh, one of the things that we're very proud of, uh, thank to our superintendent, our board of education, is a strong commitment to the traditional trades where our students are immediately employable in welding, construction, yes. automotive. Um, these, those crop of students that are on our campus are actually the ones who actually can go out there and get immediate employment. A lot of career and technical education coursework and programs of study in the state to go further do require some sort of college education afterwards. Engineering, um, you know, if you want to get into medical sciences, you're going to have to go on to college to keep continuing into those areas. Um, but for us, um, the growing percentage of you know six to eight percent of our students going off into the workforce immediately is huge for us. Um, regardless, what we also find is that, you know, most students now, what we're seeing is a growing trend, and I'm sure you would see this, Karen, and possibly anyone else, um, the matriculation students going on more going to two-year schools and working at the same time because of the economic situation at home, whatever it may be. So our students can not only work their way through college at a viable skill, uh, working in kitchens, restaurants, working in automotive, working in drafting and design, as entry-level positions. That is what we want to see our students be able to do. Work your way through, you know. No one says, I, I don't advise a lot of our students to go for the $150,000 loan debt to go to college. I'd much rather see our students afford their way through and enter and exit college debt-free. So employability, and employability, I'm sure the first thing you look for in an interview, when you interview, how well do they speak? How well do they present? How well do, are they confident? Do they, are they honest? You know, these are things you look for. And roughly, Karen, percentage of your kids going to college versus, or four-year, two-year? Um, so I have, I have over 2,300 students in my school, um, and we are a comprehensive high school. Um, so if our students are going to be involved in a vocational program, they need to go to Somerset County Vocational School. Um, we have just a handful of them who do the shared time stuff, but for the <coughs> most part, they either go full-time or they stay with us. The vast majority of them stay with us. Um, as far as graduation rates, I mean, we're, because we're a comprehensive high school, I think we tend to be pretty high up there. We're usually, um, I don't know this year's statistics specifically, but uh, 85 to 90 plus in the two and four year range. Um, and then we do have a number of students who go off to gap years, military, trade school, so on and so forth. But we are, you know, the focus does seem to be mostly college bound for Hillsborough High School. Great. Akbar Cook, uh, principal of Westside High School in Newark. Um, the man 
the one man taller <laughs> taller than me in this room. So, um, first of all, I, I I am going to join you in our game. But um, if if those those of you don't know Akbar, he is a friend of uh, as we call him a friend of Alan's, uh, Alan DeGeneres. Um, and uh, tell us a little bit how that came about, and you know, and then we'll we'll get back to the conversation. But it's a good story. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let me go far back. How far? No, back? Go. the quick version. <laughs> the quick version. I um, uh, we we noticed a, a barrier preventing my kids from coming to school. Uh, I was averaging by 85 percent severely chronically absent. That means they were staying home three to five days a month. And once we started making calls and knocking on doors, we realized that the parents didn't have it to send the kids with clean clothes. The kids felt like they were going to be bullied. So they didn't want to be in front of a classroom with dirty clothes on, so they were staying home. So just a quick, uh, you know, uh, way for me to remove the barrier, we installed uh, a laundromat in the school. And uh, when it first was reported, I was so happy to be on TV. I was on like News 12, (laughs) ABC, NBC, and all of that. And I remember sitting on my ottoman, and I just was, you know, I was filming it for Facebook because I wanted to see me on, you know, and tell everybody. And... uh, it's funny because if you know anything about Instagram, Instagram is only 59 seconds. So I was debating whether or not should I just put 59 seconds up there because you wouldn't get the gist of the story, but I did. And lo and behold, that made its way all the way to Burbank, California to Ellen's people okay. and that's what they saw. So when, of course when they called me, I, was, I, I couldn't believe it. It was just a surreal feeling. And uh, I got to take my family and my wife and my kids out there and the, the, the whole staff are just so beautiful and just, just how nice Ellen is, her staff is the same way. And uh, I remember being in the back and they, they, they give you the questions beforehand, not like John didn't give us the questions. Thanks, remember, So I remember I'm in the back and I'm, we're going over the questions with the producer and it was a couple of things they said. They said, Cook, you know, because I had some deaths in my building with my babies, right? And they said, don't mention deaths. I don't know if her, her fan base can take that. And uh, they was just saying, uh, you know, you, they, they got a way you want you to answer the questions. And I'm like, okay, so now I can talk all day, but it was like, you got to say specific things at certain times and you can't say this. And then it was like, yeah, and then and Ellen made this freestyle. She may ask you whatever you want. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so, so I remember, and you don't meet Ellen until it's time. You don't meet her until it's time. So I'm going downstairs and uh, my heart is pumping. I'm like, they trying to put the makeup on me and stuff. I'm like, man. <laughs> and it was four chairs back then. They was like, yo, do you know what kind of four people sat in these chairs? And I'm like, man, I'm about to pass out. I don't care who sat there. <laughs> right? And then uh, I hear Ellen now and uh, they played a little uh, the, uh, piece before, my, uh, before I go out. And this is my first time seeing it. So I'm like, oh, my baby's in now, Akbar Cook, right? I'm like, oh my God. So I thought I was gonna have this Billy D. Williams walk when I walk out there. Okay, okay. And uh, my legs was, I was so scared, right? <laughs> and Ellen has a bad back, so they tell you not to hug her too hard. So I went out there and I sat down. First question was not one of the questions on there. So if you look at me, I'm looking around like, Ellen, what are you doing to me? And so I answered. And then the next question said, yeah, but you lost four kids. And I'm like, Ellen, you told me not to talk about my baby nothing. So it was one of the most fulfilling and most scariest moments of my life. And just to go back last Thursday and be on there, I'm a grandma's boy. My grandma 90 years old. So grandma got to see me on there. So I'm just so excited that I was able to put on for my city because a lot of bad stuff come out of Newark and I'm happy with some good news and I got the commission up here with me. So that's, that's beautiful. So, I mean, you know, but that's my other stuff. Great. And, and two pretty sizable donations to the, 
Yes, but I haven't, and that was one of the things I haven't. I haven't touched the money. Like I really want to be responsible. Wait, was it fifty, hundred thousand total? Hundred thousand total. I, I really want to. One, I want to, and we're going to talk about it. I, I'm going to get ahead of myself, but I wanted to have a kitty for my babies that go to school and they encounter some fees that they can't do. Yes. So I want to have that. And just my seniors, they may not have, so maybe a prom. So I haven't touched it. So people mm. are like, oh, Cook, he went to Vegas the other day. <laughs> I didn't touch any Ellen money. <laughs> I'm waiting on my seniors, <laughs> you know, so, but yes, I haven't touched anything yet, so. So, uh, on that note, yes. um, you know, talk about what you think, a graduate of, of Westside High School, um, or the state as a whole, or, or both, should know or be able to do. I don't, I don't know if it's just urban education, but it just seems like, a lot of my parents and the kids think that the diploma is the finish line. They just think they've done it, I'm, I'm happy and, and that's it. And I'm trying to tell them in, in the way I talk to my babies, I say, it's just wall art for your parents. That's all that is to me, it's just wall art. Your parents gonna take it, put it up somewhere, you're probably never gonna see it again. You have to compete. I don't think we're teaching our babies to compete. And we talk, all of the panelists talked about it with the grit, the perseverance, but if I'm, I had 86% graduation rate, but if I got 100 kids come home before Christmas break, then what, what, what did I really do? True. You know, they don't know what a registrar is, a bursar, or any other the R's. They don't know that. <laughs> so it's our job, I think, that we need to start, you know, doing that, having those conversations. And everyone is not going to school. I got 28% special needs. So, I, I, and, I'm, and they talked about it with the technical schools. We, we have to, I split it up into four and we talked about it. You, I have the kids going to the, the trades, right? Mm -hmm. They go into mm -hmm. the trades. Mm -hmm. I have the kids going two year or four year, right? Military. And mm -hmm. then I got that other one. So there's kids are not going. They say, Cook, I'm not going. I have siblings that I take care of because my parents are not involved. I have to work now. I eventually may go, but what am I doing until then? So I have to prepare for that kid as well. So I have to, I want my kids to be career ready when they leave Westside. Like you're ready to compete. You go to school, that is a plus. But if you're not ready to compete in the real world, and I'm not talking about a job where you're just going to McDonald's, that's not going to get them out of poverty or change their family situation. I need to figure out how to make them think about careers, and we talked about critical thinking. So I want them to know that the, the diploma is not the finish line for high school. It's just not, and it's only a minimum wage job, and you're not going to be able to help your family. So I know I'm all over the place, but no, no, it's, it's, very, it's very dear to me because my kids are coming home and we haven't even talked about, I have a huge population of kids coming from West Africa, Nigeria and Ghana. If you are not in the States for three years, you, you don't qualify for financial aid. So that is my babies being a valedictorian and then calling me asking, can I give them a recommendation to be a waitress because there's no financial aid for them. So. I have to find ways for them to, again, to compete and to survive. And my reality is not everyone's reality. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely hard, but I'm not going to stop till we figure it out. So I, awesome. I know I'm over. No, know, that's great. Uh, no, but, yes. but none of you have mentioned yeah. basic skills, um, reading, writing abilities, being able to do 10th grade math, whether it's algebra or, no, but I mean, talk about that. I mean, do we want just a lot of high character people, but don't read or write very well. I mean, that's, you know, colleges tell us all the time that, um, you know, I, I, I don't know the latest statistics, but the, you know, amazingly high numbers of uh, remedial courses required. Can we talk a little bit about, you haven't mentioned it. I, I figured one of you guys would okay. mention it. So, so, so as a former uh, trustee at a university, State University, you understand that there's different needs that universities have. And one of the things that they look at is those basic proficiency, those basic skill classes. 
you know, I can talk about that, but that's separate from, from, from pre-K to 12. However, I'm going to say this, John, because we have such great standards and great educators, when our students get to high school, we've assessed those children since the third grade all the way up to high school. So we kind of know exactly where mm -hmm. our kids are going. As Akbar said before, wherever your zip code is will depend on the needs. You know, you have, you know, in Hillsborough, they're not, they're not talking about having a, a washing and dryer machine inside the school. But, you know, in Passaic, they're talking about, you know, the tech, technical aspect of it. So our thing is when we look at New Jersey as a whole, we got to take account all our diverse population and how do we create an assessment that's going to measure this, assessment that's going to prepare kids for the future. And I'll say this, our standards in New Jersey are incredible. That's why we ranked one of, once one of our top uh, school agencies or districts, I'm um, sorry, not districts, but state agencies in the country is because of our standards, right? So when our kids get to high school, you know they, they have the basic proficiency. Yes, in certain communities, our students, um, when it comes to the proficiency level of being measured by the standardized assessment, we can go on about standardized assessment. But when you look at those students, they're prepared, but there's a lot of different things that are going on that affect the child other than just reading, writing, arithmetic, right? And so as Bar said, how do we now take a comprehensive high school, West Orange, as he said before, West we side. had, West Side, I'm sorry, West Side, you have these students now, he told them getting careers, getting jobs, right? Not just McDonald's, but, but jobs they have. So we need to look at how do we create opportunities within comprehensive high schools where our students are coming out with at least some college credit, doing enrollment programs, industry level certificates and standards, and so they can go get a job, CNA, entry level jobs like that. So when you talk about high school and the diploma and, and, and our graduation, it needs to be a, a passport pretty much to different tracks that are not just set up. We've done in the past, and just because it's a movement, I guess, and every so often an education moving in a different direction. Well, our diploma is not just based in, and pointed towards college. Our high school diploma now is pointed towards mm -hmm. careers, post-secondary success, um, different things in measure, and we have to, we have to figure out the department So what of do you education. say, I'm gonna interrupt you. Mm -hmm. um, I could do that. Um, <laughs> what do you say to those, you know, 90% of, of students entering whatever uh you know i think you know the numbers is community colleges especially uh needing remedial help and the and the and the retention in colleges being relatively low and that that could be has a lot of issues but what do you say to that i mean so, those are your high school graduates yes yeah, so you have uh, you have our, our assessments former park now yeah we'll talk yeah, we're going to get to the assessment you have the assessment but it's built on these kids are taking a standardized assessment well when they come in they're taking the, the uh what is the asvap I'm sorry to ask, but they take an acupuncture. It's a different assessment. You know, that's apples and oranges. So yeah, of course our students, our students are prepared for New Jersey learning standards. They're not prepared as much to actually take a test that they haven't studied. And we all know in affluent communities, there's preparation. Um, we spend a lot of money, A, myself spent a lot of money preparing my daughters to take whatever assessment measured. We're preparing our students for the New Jersey learning standards. We're not preparing our students for the AccuPlacer. So we need to maybe have a conversation with higher education to make sure that whatever assessment we give in high school is similar to the assessment we give entry enter into college. And I think you're going to start seeing a decrease in those students going to proficiency class. I'm sorry, going to base skill courses because it's more in line with what they're doing in high school. What, Michael? What do you? I mean, to this point, I don't. I don't know how your kids are doing going off, but you have a good chunk who go off to two and four year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you hear from higher ed all the time that, um, you know, these kids aren't necessarily prepared for college. 
Well, yeah, they're your kids. Right, and what I will say is, um, well, I, what I won't say, what we actually kind of think in the high school level, I would think a lot of principals agree, definitely guidance uh, directors, certainly a lot of superintendents is, I think there's a great disconnect between uh, what college expects a high school graduate to be able to do, okay, and what actually high school graduates for the most part can do. Um, you know, when you talk about taking the Accuplace or the, your entrance exam into a two-year school, or, you know, four-year schools, you know, their placement or where they put students. Um, one of the things that I think is we have to really get real about, um, listen, I want my students to be literate. Absolutely, there is no parent, no, nobody on this earth that doesn't, that doesn't recognize the need for literacy and an ability of math. To what degree of literacy? Do you need to graduate Shakespeare's? You know, um, do you need to graduate, everyone is a mathematician and Algebra two scholars? I don't know that that's necessarily true. And if you look at the, the number of uh, college uh, students who are actually enrolled in the maths and the computer sciences, it is, it's not a majority of people. So when you talk about the advanced math abilities, that is gonna continue in a certain population of students who go to college. Is that necessarily every student? Um, to the degree of literacy, um, you know, I, I do recall, and if we can all go back to when Park was introduced, I do remember that there was a talk of that Park exam being the measurement of proficiency and standards ability for a high school graduate to be on a transcript, and I do recall that somewhere the discussion was that that exam would count as some sort of measurement for colleges in the state of New Jersey to use as a measurement of ability. Student scores of five, well, is there a need for them to take your acuplacer to come into your school, or is the placement there? That never materialized for whatever reason. So we still. What do you have think of that idea? I mean, I think. I, I'm going to be honest wrong, with you. There's now a bi there's a bilingual tag right. on the diploma too. Is that there now? are two things seal that literacy. I believe should be there. Uh, the bi uh, bilingual seal literacy, seal literacy is awesome. I and I'm sure a lot of my other uh, county vocational schools would agree. Uh, the sorely needed thing that is not measured and, and noticed on transit is a career and technical education seal, where this student has acquired this certification, this ability, this oh, job, right. uh, stackable credential. That is not there. Um, now, would I love for some sort of whatever, what the state is going to have to give exams. We know that. That's part of the federal funding. We understand. Um, if the park or the NJSLS is, continues to be what the measurement of graduation is for students. Well, if that is the exam that the State Department of Education, the State Board of Education measures as the standard for a student you know, being able to earn a, a, a high school diploma, then it surely it should have some sort of ability to carry over to our two-year schools at the minimum, possibly the four-year state schools. I understand that. To me, if that bridge was built, to give these students even greater skin in the game when they're taking that exam, that listen, this will count if you win, if you do very there well. There was a lot of pushback to that idea. I agree. Um, you know, I know that, but you know, I mean, I it sort of goes to the point that the kids said, and I think all of you said, is you know, don't judge us by our park score no. or our SAT or or whatever it be. Um, but I, you know, Karen, I mean, what the idea of of different diplomas, you know, maybe credentials being tagged in there. Um, you know, states have, have had regions diplomas and honors and, I mean, New Jersey, it's one diploma, uh, state-issued uh, diploma. You know, w what about the idea of mixing it up a little bit? 
Well, you know, I think it's, it's interesting when you look at the history of education in, in our country and in New Jersey to begin with. Um, if we go back 20 years, 30 years, um, there was a real push in our state that we had to do things to make our students college ready. The push was really very much on college. And so suddenly um, attendance at, at the standalone vocational programs started to die off a little bit and students were staying in the more comprehensive high schools like mine. So as time has gone on, we're seeing this sort of come back around mm -hmm. because there are portions of our student population that frankly their needs just haven't been met over that period of time. So. Um, if, if the goal is to prepare our students for careers that are going to match them and their interests and their abilities um, and lead them to be productive, successful citizens, our educational program needs to lead to that. Um, I think there's certainly nothing wrong with having a diploma that indicates special endorsements. Why should there not be something on uh, a diploma in, in uh, Mike's school if a student is leaving with a certain certification that makes him immediately eligible or her immediately eligible to walk into a job that is a full-time career? There's no reason not to have that listed. Um, what about a Regents type of, like New York had done? Uh, well. You know, New York has had its New York has had its its success with it and its disappointments with it. Um, I think anything, as we've certainly struggled with um, in New Jersey, um, anything that is assessment based specifically is not really a full capture of what a student is capable of doing. Um, you know, we have students who experience extreme test phobia and test anxiety. They can be your top students in those classes, but they walk into a park in NJSLA dash whatever the subject is, um, they walk into an AccuPlace or an ASVAB, it doesn't even matter, and they freeze up. But in a learning environment, in a working environment, in a team um, situation, they are the most productive, most creative, most articulate contributing members of, of that scenario. So, you know, a single assessment doesn't necessarily measure that. Commissioner, is that on the table of, and this is actually a question, and I'm gonna try to weave these in as best I can, but a vice principal from uh, Perth Amboy High School, uh, Keith Garino, and I think most of these folks are here probably. <laughs> I don't know, do you know Keith? Is yes. It? Okay, so, uh, uh -oh. so maybe he planted this question for you, but um, are there ways to highlight more? Um, I, I'm figuring you guys all know each other at this point. Um, but it is, how can we highlight a high school graduate's accomplishments on their diploma? So right now we're currently doing with the department, if you look at our performance reports, we will have information on in regards to the school and the, the, the certifications, the CTE requirements they have on there. So you know, our transcripts do represent that. Um, I don't personally think that having, um, I guess, a diploma that has different levels of, to it, I think is important because, you know, someone who's worked in an urban community, I think the urban students will kind of probably look at it and say, well, I, I don't have those many opportunities. I, I don't have the opportunity to take HP courses as some of my peers would. So I think being, um, having a high school diploma that has different levels to it, like New York City, I think, uh, for New Jersey, wouldn't be successful. The governor's talking about stronger and fair. That is not a stronger and fair piece. Um, we are talking to the Department of Education, looking at performance reports, looking to seal the bilateracy, 
indicating that this individual have skills um, to go on, whether it's a different language, whether it's, uh, they have industry level credentials, all those things are on the performance reports, um, those things will be on your transcript. So I think we're moving towards that direction. I think in more of a positive and thoughtful way than just saying, you know, you have a diploma that is, you know, you've got, you know, CT diploma versus a comprehensive diploma. Uh, versus an honors diploma, I think that becomes more of um, a have and a have nots, and I, I, I would not support that yeah. as a commissioner. Akbar, to that point, um, the question of having accomplishments listed on your on your diploma or having different levels of of, of diplomas, you know, similar to regents, just throwing it out there. I'm not. I'm, I'm with the commissioner on this. It's going to that, like something that's supposed to be so joyous. Now we're going to. Everyone had the same diploma now. You're going to have all of this, you know, these different bells and whistles on it. You're just going to, you know, almost shame other students. I, I'm not in agreement. I think, like you said, the transcripts have that already. And if you got the stackable search, we can find a way to, to, to recognize that as well. But, you know, singling out kids again, almost like a round robin, I don't think that's the, uh, the answer. One of the questions, um, this is from the president of the Board of Education in Paramus, uh, Bernadette McCausland. Um, and you raised this, I, I think, Commissioner, um, the notion of, um, you know, I, I can't remember who said it, but the notion of, of local com communities. And, and one of the students said it, if you made your 12 years um, through school, and leaving a lot of this to, to the local communities to determine if they've met certain uh, standards. And, and her question was um, asking whether the DOE can allow districts to have that autonomy if they can, you know, pass the, in, our, in New Jersey's case, it's called CUSAC, it's the state monitoring system, if they have that, um, just because we contain a vastly different number of school districts and one policy never fits all districts. Um, what about that idea? Going the other end where, you know, you're leaving that uh, autonomy to districts. Well, a couple uh, things you have, you have the federal and state requirements. So those are things that are above on what we do from the school district standpoint. Second thing, I believe CUSAC in 2017, it was, it was advised and uh, I guess um, modified to reflect the needs, especially the growth, because a, um, a lot of the districts were indicating they may not have met all of the requirements, but they've met some or most. So I think it proves growth. So if you look at that, you'll see that we've actually had um, a conversation and engagement throughout the state on CUSAC to make it better for all districts, to make it more, I guess, equitable across the board for those districts that are performing, those schools that are performing, but may not be forming at the level of 80 to 90%. So I think when we talk about equity, the, um, the new CUSAC model of form we have is more equitable than it was in the past. Can it be improved? Always. And we're always in a continuous state of improvement. So I think it can be improved. But just to talk about, um, there's 180 days in the school year. The assessment is a roughly two weeks of 180 days. So you mean we discount the work that goes on in the classroom from 100, let's say 70 days, right? 170 days, we're gonna just discount that based off of a single assessment. The assessment is a tool to measure proficiency. That's all assessment is. Mm -hmm. It's not a tool to measure other things that goes on inside of the child, uh, the perseverance or grit or character. So I think we need to, as you talked about, that holistic approach um, where we're looking at different aspects of a child and then, then getting a, com a complete picture. Talking about a 360 view, I think it's, it's uh, for the Department of Education and the way Governor Murphy talks about transitioning away from park but doing it in a meaningful way, but doing way when we create the next generation assessment, it will actually be um, an assessment that has um, collaboration. You see the young, young people that I was talking up there, 
we went around the state and we, had, we talked to young people as well. And we got the same information. I don't understand the value of this assessment. Right? We need to make sure that whatever assessment we put in place, they see value. Right? Whether it's looking at how can we bridge the gap between um, secondary and higher ed. So there's ways that we, and we're getting communication information and we're gathering that stuff there to make, to make a, a better product. Because I always think we should always make a better product for our students. So I think we can't just, just discount 170 days of the year of our child. Because these students are going, as you said before, they're doing great work in the class. Mm -hmm. We're discounting 170 days of our educators working, our students. And you have these formative and summative assessments. Well, formative assessments are great. A great tools because it actually allows us to learn exactly what the student is doing. How can we modify our instruction to make sure that we put interventions or enrichment in place so they can get better? Let me pull back though. I mean, and you're talking more of the output, and I, I, just on the input side. And I'm, let me ask Karen. State has uh, requirements four years of English um, on down, uh, including uh, there. There's some talk. Um, the latest one is uh, computer coding um, that that the governor has talked about at least thinking about whether that would be even a requirement down the road. I, I realize it's not a requirement, but there's, there is a law that the legislature passed that in, I think it's in a couple years that will be under consideration by the state board. Um, how does that, those requirements, year requirements, not to mention 150 minutes of phys ed every, every week, is it, I think? Yep. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how do those requirements fit um, what you see as some of the things you talked about in the very beginning? around what our kids need to be able to do. And, and, and also just the idea of seat time in general uh, as a, you know, a 21st century requirement. Talk, talk about that. How does that fit your high school? Well, um, the, the, I think one of the challenging things that you face when you're talking about adding a new requirement to um, the graduation requirements for, for all students is that the students are put in a position then of having an opportunity in their day um, earmarked for something very specifically. And while it's great for all students to have access to computer programming, um, for example, for many students that's not going to be the avenue that they're going to pursue. So it becomes a checklist item. Um, financial literacy by all means is a very important skill in this world. We want students to grow up and be able to manage their own checkbooks and make uh, uh, wise investment decisions and um, be able to function as a financially literate person as an adult. In my school though, um, because of other constraints that we have, I can only offer a seven period traditional bell schedule. So every time something else is added in, that takes away an additional period that a student could use for the area that is really that student's direction in life. Financial literacy is by far the most heavily subscribed course taken online. So kids come in, they get approval for it, they do the work on their own outside of school, they transfer the credits in so that they can come in and work with the teachers in the content areas of interest to them in school because that's, what, that's where their personal value exists. Um, and I think every time there's a new, uh, a new requirement added, it's coming from such a pure place of wanting to expand people's horizons and, and expose students to so many other things. But we have to watch what we are washing out of existence. 
and what we can't what we can never wash out of a high school student's world is the joy that comes from coming into school each day and looking forward to that art class or that um, even an AP physics class or that fourth or fifth year of a world language where you walk in that door and you are your most authentic, highly leveled working person that exists for that student. That's your joy in the day. And sometimes the more check boxes there are to meet, the less joy there is for students. And that makes it much harder to get students through high school. Akbar, uh, seat time in high school, where does that fit into? You know. I just wanted to piggyback on what Karen was saying. I just was thinking, my high school babies don't know how to write cursive. Some way along the lines, we took something out, handwriting. Mm -hmm. And so I have a senior now, I'm saying, okay, we got a sign for you to get your diploma. They writing in print. So we can't lose, like, we keep adding stuff and we forgetting what got phonics. When, when did we stop doing phonics, mm -hmm. right? So, but seat time, uh, the seat time debate is, is, is always <laughs> interesting to me because that same kid, because he has seat time, can get the same credit in six weeks in summer school mm -hmm. that a kid did the whole school year, 365. <laughs> it's like, you know, so I, I, I don't want to get in trouble now, but I'm listening to you. I'm just saying. It's, <laughs> I just don't understand how that works. So, yeah. alternatives? Alternatives to that? Wow. I mean, we talked about online courses, right? But then there's a the validity question with that. It's like, is someone sitting with them doing it? Or, but uh, I don't know. I mean, because then we talk about, so, so let's say at my school now, uh, we, you have to do credit recovery, some kids that failed English too. But I was like, but what about my baby that want to take English too as a freshman? Mm. So that's credit accrual opportunity for them. Mm -hmm. But the kid that failed, it only got to be six weeks in there. So I'm just like, how to, like, you know what I mean? Like, I want to put a teacher in there for the baby to be, to, to, to go get ahead, but I can't forget about the one that needs, you know, recovery. So it's, it's I don't, I don't want to get in trouble. I'm going to be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> Mike? Yeah, you're, okay. you're nodding. I so don't know I, if that's a good this, thing. Or? I've had this discussion with lots of teachers, administrators. Um, there's some really some real truths we have to look at teachers are evaluated principals are evaluated superintendents are evaluated um, by standard based measurement okay the strong evaluation system the Danielson whatever it is standards based here are the proficiencies that you should model and be able to demonstrate as a, as a teacher a leader anybody uh, as a professional in the school um, we have standards based examinations the NJSLS Accuplacer SAT, ACT, all designed around proficiency-based standards. The one group in education who has been left out of the standards-based and measurement by proficiency are the students. They are still held accountable for clocked time. Clocked four years of English, three years of math. We do measure proficiency with the exams, with the state exams. All right? We do measure proficiency when they take standardized exams. But their entire day, very little is paid attention to how proficient are you until we get to the 11th grade exam or we get to the end of the year algebra exam. What if, and you're talking about possibilities, what if, you know, rather than saying so many credits of this, so many credits of that, what if it was, you know, by certain, you know, you able to demonstrate? What if our, you know, we write the standards in the state this way. Students should be able to, you know, the demonstration. There you go right through all the standards. But that is not getting into necessarily the classroom at all, at all levels, in all districts. 
Okay, it, it's, it's certainly present on the exams when it comes to the state exam or the occupational ACT, it's there. But what's to say his student who is a freshman is extremely proficient in literacy, in literature. Why would they have to just keep clocking time? What if they did that? And then he could open up an opportunity to offer career and technical ed to students, possibly, who demonstrate early on proficiency in certain areas. I would like to see a reorganization of what's required in terms of hours and seat time for students to earn a diploma. Right now, as Karen said, they're ticking off boxes. We do it as administrators. Did you get your four years of English? Did you get your three years of this? Did you? Without really asking the question, are you proficient at this? Are you proficient? We don't find out until the exams come out, and then by that time, they're going to be seniors in high school. And how do you go back if a student scores a two on a park? What are you doing? You know, where, you know, we, it's almost too late in a lot of instances. It's, he asked, Commissioner, he said, what if? What if? Just <laughs> <laughs> sit next to you. I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how much of it is statutory. A lot of it no, is. Well, yeah, yeah, a lot of it is statutory. A lot is, right? So, um, but you're talking about a total paradigm shift mm -hmm. in education. Everyone right. is talking about education of the future, right? Mm -hmm. and you're talking about a system that's currently designed now. Right. So how do we change that? Um, you normally look at our legislators and the policies, the, the, the laws that they create. I'll say this, some of those laws are based on necessity. Certain districts are not doing what they need to do, so therefore we must have a law in place. Mm -hmm. Therefore, um, the, the state board and the, and the Commission of Education must create regulations. So what we're trying to do, we're talking about the Department of Education, is take the law and the intent of the law, create regulations, and I've talked about before, that does not call this ripple effect that comes up to the point almost like a tsunami, right? What, you know, does it have an adverse effect if you look at our regulations? So what we're looking at right now is ensuring that the regulations that we create um, has the intention that the legislators want, but yet have the mindful and the lens of what uh, someone in the field would do or field, you know, as someone, a school district or superintendent or still boards. So I think being a practitioner as a commissioner has allowed me to be able to, to kind of forecast different things that come up. One example, um, was the uh, recess law. The recess law, I believe, was passed in the summer, and um, I kind of waited for the next calendar year. And the law is 20 minutes a day? I think it's 30, 20, 30 minutes yeah, a day. I'm not quite sure with recess. However, K but to the five. Yes, but High the school kids don't get recess. But the impact I was going to have <laughs> if we were to institute that in September was going to be a nightmare, right? You have scheduling already in place. You have budgets created. So the ripple effect we're talking about is hold off on that. You know, making sure that next year, now you have a whole year to plan. A whole year to plan for that. Um, we talk about being creative with our programming, right? You're talking about that young lady that you have, your baby that you want to take out. Well, there's option two available. And I think we do a, a, a poor job when it comes to option two, which allows you to take internship opportunities, um, study abroad programs, you know, being this creative. This is senior year. No, no, this is throughout high school. Is this you through could, all four, you yes, can do that? Okay. yes, so our thing is, it's this thought process, right, of looking at option two. So we're doing, a, what we are doing, Department of Education is really going out in there and start to talk about option two as a means to get the things you need to do academically, right? We're talking about a youth apprentice program partnering with the- I was um, gonna ask about apprenticeships. With the, uh, the, office, the office, commission, office of uh, Labor and Workforce Development, looking and making sure that, are we looking at um, opportunities for our, for our students to go out in the field, 
go out in the field and get the structured learning environment. When we think of structured learning environment, we always think of special education, right? Mm -hmm. We think of structured learning environment in general across the board for all students. So as we start to look at some of our certifications and our regulations on how we oversee these programs, we're going to make sure that it's, it's applicable for all and not just for one group. So when the government talks about strong or fair, we need to make sure that we have programs like option two. Is it really available? Do you need support and help understanding that? What can the state do to support you? So I think as we look through the lens of a practitioner, we can kind of forecast some of the things that you're talking about. This information right here, my team is sitting here and back at home, they're watching, because our thing is we're gonna take your ideas and make sure that how can we make that happen? How can we meet the needs of, meet, meet the needs of our students? Because we're sitting here with Hillsborough, Newark, and Passaic, and I can tell you the conversations are totally different. Right, the conversation based off your needs. So we need to come up with some type of educational plan by disrupting the status quo, looking at the current system and changing it to meet that paradigm shift that we call a cultural mind shift. What about, you mentioned special <coughs> education. We haven't talked about students with disabilities or special mm -hmm. needs. Where do they fit into this? You have a, you said 28%? 28%, yes sir. Yeah, where do they fit into this discussion? Wow. <laughs> um, I mean, that, that's why I went uh, into the area of career and getting them ready. Soft skills, life yes. skills, apprenticeships. Like my, my, my vision was to, with my school and other schools do it, with the shared time is, is to have the kids, like if, if I can get after school courses, the credit accrual opportunities, time they get to their senior year, I could be sending them out half a day on apprenticeships yes. because I did something with PSCNG and I'm gonna get back to what we was talking about. I did, PSCNG had a, a pilot program where they said it was gonna take 15 of my graduates, we put them on Essex County campus, and uh, they did, they was there for 33 weeks. And, and, and the goal was that, I don't know the names of the tests that you gotta pass either to get on a pole or to the power plant, so the nuclear power plant. But it was training them to pass those tests, but also giving them the skills in order to do the job. They went through the 33 weeks, and at the end of the 15, some fell off, nine, nine graduated. They hired two of my babies. And, and I told them, it was a job waiting for them at the end of, at the, end of the, uh, the, the, uh, you know, the program. And, but then when you hear the flip side of what PSNG, the, the managers was like, Cook, how do I hire this baby that's just fresh out when I got John here with 15 years experience? Mm -hmm. So that's the, that's the reality of getting back to my special needs. If I, if I give them all that, all of that, all of that uh, training, it's still gonna be someone that probably didn't do well, that got 15 years more experience, so how do I create a portfolio with this kid without the doing the apprenticeship, the job shadowing, and all of that? So I'm trying to figure out what the babies need, all of them, not just my special needs, but and how can I place them somewhere where they won't have to compete because they, they already have shown that they have the ability and all of that. So it's just trying to create those, uh, those experiences and, and those opportunities, but it's, it's hard, it depending on like I have different sets of special needs. Like I have LDS right. severe. I have mm -hmm. it, it. It depends. So it's, it's so. And the it's diploma so yes. being the same for for each different. I mean, mm -hmm. speak to this. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I want I on the heels of what I said before, the diploma should be the same, most definitely across the board. And if I if I phrase that differently, that's not what I intended before. The diploma should be the same. Certainly, the transcript should reflect the different nuances of what each student has done. Um, we don't need to create a diploma that is the, you know, the teddy bears mm -hmm. and other animals that are maybe less cuddly. Okay. <laughs> That's um, idea. okay. Um, so, so 
the diploma should absolutely be the same, but the reality is, and this, this sort of is the, the summary of everything that we're dealing with in a school on every day, on an everyday basis, the checklist items of the courses that need to be taken and the schedules that need to be done and the seat time that needs to happen and all of that, those are the things that are, they don't get talked about because they just are. Okay, they're the master schedule, they happen, the kids come in, the first bell rings, you go to homeroom, you go to period one, your day proceeds. It's all of the rest of um, the work that we do that consumes easily 99% of our days, all right? We're spending the days trying to make sure that the student with special needs is in the right placement and um, not so frustrated that he or she is never going to succeed in that place. What do we need to do to make sure that the supports are in place, the modifications, the accommodations? How are we able to um, best support that student's needs to reach heights that maybe he or she didn't think were possible? And on the same token, how do we take the students who are not on the, on the other end of the spectrum at the AP level and um, give them this wide array of opportunities to also achieve their greatest dreams and aspirations? And how do we continue to challenge the students who, no matter what happens, will challenge themselves, whether we're there or not? And are we able to um, usher them along in new ways, or are we standing in their way somehow? And that's really the same for all of our students. What can we do to be a catalyst to get them where they are capable of going, as opposed to what parameters have been placed upon us as principals upon education as a system that um, is now going to get in the way. How do I provide a program for 2,300 plus students that is individualized, personalized, builds character, makes that student joyful about coming to school, and interested in pursuing things that he or she never conceived of previously if I have so many specific things that need to get checked off during the course of the day? I want to, it's a hard question. I, I do want to move um, to talk about assessment, um, but I, it's dawning on me, and the timing of this is the governor on Tuesday announced his budget um, for next year with addi some additional money for K-12 as well as pre-K. Um, and tomorrow or Friday, I think, we're, we're told that state aid numbers will come out. Today's um, Thursday, yeah, today. One of these, one of these days, um, and that will, you know, will show uh, how <laughs> each individual district what does, how does money enter into, you know, you, we, we've all talked about providing kids opportunities and apprenticeships and, and, you know, and you talked about the arts programs and, and, you know, kids come to school waiting for, you know, looking forward to that AP class. Um, this is not a, you know, we're, we have a bit of a fiscal problem right now in New Jersey, as you might have noticed, uh, and schools have, have borne a, a lot of the brunt of that. You know, these things cost money. Um, does that limit you? Um, and you know, Mike, you know, can you do everything? Can you do all these things? We've been talking up high, and everything's great, and, and character building, but these things cost money. Are you limited in your ability to to address well, some I, of these? I, we're not different, even though we're a county career and technical education site. We're no different than any other district. We have a budget. We have to be fiscally responsible. Mm -hmm. We have to be, uh, you know, things have to be paid attention to and very cautious of what we do. Um, our funding stream, of course, varies a little bit because we have the Perkins funding, which comes and covers our career and technical education and certain aspects of that, but certainly our general fund plays into everything. Uh, yeah, uh, does money matter? It absolutely does. Um, 
if there are programs that are innovative and different, shifting paradigms, uh, they, they, they come at a cost a little bit. And everything has a monetary cost in some way, in some aspect, whether it's a different type of position or administrator you're bringing on, or whether it's a different type of resources you want to bring into your building, okay? And you said you have the 100,000, you're being cautious. What do you want to do with it? Where, is the, where do you want to allocate it to? Um, so sure, every program, uh, an idea, has some sort of monetary r responsibility or attachment to it. Um, you know, how that changes, I'm not really sure. That's way above my pay grade. That's, you know, up in the state <laughs> legislature. Not, not above his, though. <laughs> <laughs> Akbar, money get in the way? Now that you have this, you know, this kitty, of course, but no. Um, <laughs> no. But obviously, um, a, a city like Newark is, is facing some of these challenges. I'm, I'm, I'm new to the I'm first year principal, right? So I'm just learning the budget, but I can't, uh, we are the largest district in, in, in the state. And- uh, Close to a billion dollars a year. Yeah, 1.17. Yep. Yes. <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't, I can't complain. Like what, what I have, what, what I have, what the cards I was dealt, I gotta play them. So I can't, like while I'm complaining and doing all of that, the baby is going without. So I'm going to do whatever I can. So if they say this is all I have, it's all I have. I'm gonna figure out a way to work with it. I can't, while we waiting and doing all of that, you know that. But you're limited. I mean, when you're trying to reach out and doing a program, it's, there's a price tag to it, right? I just, I go out to the community. I can't, I mean, I have an awesome alumni. I mean, I'm kind of, you know, I don't know what the word is, but, but uh, I, I've been blessed you're with a great alumni. Clearly you're resourceful. Yes, and, yes. And, and, and some of the things have been working. The Lights On program is working. It's expensive, and it's working, and I wish I could show you know, the country how to do it, but my alumni is there to help me with all of these off-the-wall ideas I have, so I have someone that's backing me and allowing me to figure out what way. And then the following year, I can put it in my budget, but that first year, every, every school district don't have that kitty that I may have with my alumni, so it's, it's hard for me. But again, I don't, I'm resourceful and I'm gonna figure out a way. I can't wait on legislation, not to knock anyone. I and gotta do it now. The last question um, before we do a, a video clip um, is, are, are our teachers and administrators and principals, uh, if we're talking paradigm shifts, and, and, and maybe we're not uh, necessarily making that leap, but you know, some of the things we're talking about, we still have a model of, you know, that's been century old model of, of education and, and some might argue that our teacher education as well. Um, are, are our teachers ready for some of the things that, that we need to do going, going forward? So as a former high school principal and, and superintendent, I can tell you, our educators are resourceful, resilient. <clears throat> I think that what's happening with this shift is that um, the system has remained the same, but yet the expectations are a lot greater. <laughs> um, and I think we need to look at building capacity of our education, making sure that, but building capacity not in a way if it's punitive, but more of a way of, like, they're talking about the collegial um, approach and supervision of it, then we need to make sure that we can kind of hold them by the hand and walk them to that. Educators are there. They know that we're not going to get the highest salary. Um, they know at times we're, the, we're, we're just the problems with it, whether it's our pension program or whatever. We're always getting blamed for something. However, I'll say this as educators. When I say educators, I'm talking about everyone in the school system, right? And the stakeholders, I'm talking about parents and other individuals. Our educators understand the importance. They're there to educate our kids. 
Now, we have collective bargain agreements, and I think it's fair that we should not violate anyone's rights. I just honestly believe that as a former um, association president of NJPSA. Um, but I'm, I'm excited the fact that our educators want more, but they want to do it in a way where it's not coming down on them and being punitive, and that's what, that's what they feel. They, they feel. So do you have this, the morale, right? And people talk about the morale. I'll say this. To build a culture of high expectations, individuals must feel comfortable to go to work. And I think as we start to create these cultures, whether it's NJPSA, NJASA, um, we work with our educators to create that culture, you're going to see that they're going to go above and beyond. Not because they may be getting paid for it, because inherently they want to because they're signed, they signed up to be educators. So as much as we give them, as we talked before, we need to make sure that these regulations do not have an adverse effect on them and their culture and their environment. We must be smart about how we plan things. Um, there's great policy out there. The laws are created. Um, and I'm starting to see the, the connection now as the commissioner from superintendent. You start to see the connection. But now my job as a Department of Education, we need to be that bridge. We need to be the bridge so we're not overworking them. We compensate them in a fair, fair compensation. And getting back to investment, um, so Governor Murphy talked about um, educational budget, $206 million. That's $206 million added on for what for happened. For K-12. For right. K-12, for what happened last year, um, which is roughly $400-something million last year. So that's an investment. So for the first time, regardless of how you feel about your funding, we are investing in education. I'm excited about that. The expansion of pre-K, you now have 4,300 new students or pre-K kids having high-quality schools. We're talking about computer science for all, not jamming it down your throat or telling you how to do this, but we understand that that's a skill for the future. So we need to invest in those skills for the future, and I think we're doing it. I'm very pleased with our investment of, um, in education, and, not, and we talk about the pension investment of that. So it's, it's a combination of all, being resourceful with your money. Um, in each district, you know, you have some districts that have Title I money, so they can utilize that. Um, some districts are hurting out there in this position. I mean, I'm no, no, in this position here, I can tell you this. Last year, I had an eye-opener. Some districts are hurting, um, and the community is paying a lot more for education yeah. than other communities. That's why, regardless of how you feel about the A2 and S2, the fact that you can redistribute money, um, it was inequitable. I guess the, um, re redistribute the money to make sure that those individuals that were overfunded for years, and I can say this, Asbury Park, um, I'm sorry to say that I, I would not return the money as a right. superintendent. Right. I mean, I don't think any right? of these districts, I mean, there's 200 districts or so, I don't know, I'm not sure the number, but there's a good, a good chunk of districts that are going to actually get, receive less money uh, from the state. And, and um, you know, the, a lot of money is going to get redistributed. I don't think any of them would call themselves overfunded, um, last I checked, and a few no. of them are in this room, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not, yes, there's an investment, but not everybody's going to necessarily going to be seeing additional funds out of out of this budget. So, you know, some of the things we're talking about are, you know, are are, are financial, you know, burden of sorts and, and facing times. And I have a feeling it's, you know, I know this money is getting is increasingly going to be pulled out of these districts. Um, you know, right now I think next year will be, you know, eight percent of that total burden. Mm -hmm. But there was six hundred million that is quote unquote overfunding. Uh, that is going to get redistributed. That's a fair amount of money. So it's a fair amount of money. Okay. I mean, so but we're very happy in investment. Uh, um, I'm excited about the fact that New Jersey is the governor is looking to really invest in education because we we're seeing tangible results as as a result of the investment. Okay. So, Let's jump to. I want. I do want to talk about 
the assessment and how we've talked a lot about you know what we want of our students uh, to graduate. How do we make sure? Um, and how do we how do we measure that? And uh, NJTV did a spot for us. It gives a little context for those who haven't lived it of, of some of the uh, debates that we've had over the last few years over uh, Park and some of these other issues. New Jersey can trace its appetite for assessment testing back more than 40 years to the mid-70s. The Public School Education Act and its amendments laid down the uniform minimum standards and the legal foundation for testing as a graduation requirement. Fast forward to 2010. The State Board of Education adopted the Common Core State Standards, or grade-level expectations, in English and math, and got a federal waiver from parts of No Child Left Behind. It allowed the state to draft a plan to intervene, to reverse the biggest in-school achievement gaps, and to improve New Jersey's worst-performing schools. That same year, New Jersey joined the Partnership for the Assessment of Readiness for College and Careers Consortium, a group of states that collaborated to measure common core achievement, and just as the park title implies, the preparedness to graduate high school or start a career. This is how you prepare for the future, by setting academic standards high, college and career readiness high. The Next Generation System aimed to assess high-level thinking, reasoning, and students' ability to apply concepts instead of repeating memorized facts, and to chart their progress and revise instruction if needed. After training and shifts in practices in teaching and learning, the park testing began in the 2014-2015 school year. But a flood of criticism accompanied students taking the test. High numbers of parents had their children opt out. That led to concerns that the federal government would cut off funding if test compliance fell below 35% for a school. The departments of education are acting like bullies. And the, the idea that the commissioner has to do this is, is absolutely wrong. May 2015, curiously, then-Governor Christie, who touted Common Core for five years, all of a sudden said it's simply not working, but keep the core test. Critics suspected Christie flip-flopped because conservatives opposed Common Core and Christie had presidential aspirations. October 2015, the first park results seemed troublesome. Third and seventh graders had low scores for math, and roughly 60% of third and 11th graders did not meet expectations for English and language arts. The data is not a criticism of the work or motivation of our teachers or our school leaders in our schools, but represents the starting point for a shared commitment to raise our academic expectations. If you want to improve learning, if you want to give teachers back the classrooms, let's stop the t over testing. April 2016. Two, four, six, eight, the park to graduate. Parents protested tying park to graduation, but the State Board of Education approved the Education Commissioner's plan to essentially require park passage for graduation by 2021. Committed to making certain that eligible students graduate. August 2016, Christie reported positive gains in park results. Critics tweeted, park is a joke, tests don't teach, park equals crap. But Christie insisted, it's a good way to evaluate teachers, while the NJEA vehemently opposed it. 
The state defended Park against court challenges. Gubernatorial candidate Phil Murphy pledged to erase Park out of New Jersey's existence. Fast forward February 2018. Newark's interim superintendent credited Park with raising standards and expectations. September 2018. Park scores showed Camden Charter and Charter Traditional Hybrid Schools moving in the right direction. All of these changes have resulted in more Camden students reading and doing math as well as or better than their peers across the state. Late December 2018, a state appellate panel ruled giving one test to qualify for graduation violates the law. New Jersey statute stipulates a basic skills test and Park is clearly not a basic skills test. But Park testing will go on while the Murphy administration explores a replacement and federal law requires some kind of assessment. So I don't want to revisit the, the, the Park debates um, because we've all lived them and, and um, <laughs> that's at least not today. Um, but, you know, we've talked a lot about going forward and, and you know, and, and what we do want for our, our students um, to know and be able to do. How do we measure that? And, and you started talking about it and I cut you off and now I'm gonna let you talk about it. But, um, but you know, how, let me, I'll, I'll start, Karen, should there be an exit test? I think, the idea of an, I think the idea of an exit test is, is fine. Um, truthfully, we didn't have nearly the issues with the HSPT, HSPA that we did with Park. Park became very politicized and that went in a very different direction. Um, I think an exit test. You're talking in terms of the opt-outs. Yes, yes. I mean, my, you what know, was my your percentage. Um, I, you know, I don't recall the percentage very well, but what I can say is, the because the percentage for me wasn't the real representation. Right. We had the opt-outs, which were probably of the 1,800 students or so who were testing, in the four, five, or 600 range in the first year, um, individual students. But then, when I walked down my hallways and I looked in the classrooms and I saw my students testing. Um, the test would have started 15 minutes earlier, and you know they were in the in the disinterested high school student pose like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just flipped through everything, and uh, 15 minutes into a 90-minute window, lids down. Um, so you know the, what we got out of the park really didn't it didn't but give us very much. Back to your point, you so, think an exit test? Is but I think I don't. I'm not opposed to an exit test, and I think most students. Um, understand that if there is something that there that is a, a minimum requirement for high school purposes that they're willing to put that effort in. I don't know that it necessarily needs to be hinged to um, to actual graduation but it does it can serve the purpose of um, if we're looking at Algebra 1 and we're looking at ELA 10 for example give give the students the opportunity after they have taken that test to get the remediation, to um, build that, those basic skills that will lead them to things to follow, um, and have opportunities for the test to serve a purpose, other than this one snapshot moment in time that doesn't actually go anywhere for the students. Akbar, exit test. Uh, I'm Park. thinking like a portfolio to show the, to show the whole kid. Um, definitely should be some type of exit test like even like we have like unit exams at the end um but something to show the the like like the whole like park portfolios you send all of these different aspects of the child i'm thinking something similar to that like i see this is what he does and what he's passionate about it's, i can learn more about the kid personal statement wise like they would do for college 
um, and just other areas where they, they, they found success. Because like we talked about, the test, like testing is a totally different thing. Like we, like I, I think the elementary schools with NJS when we used to have all mm -hmm. of that, mm -hmm. I thought they did well because they would shut the building down and do like exemplars. And I don't think high schools, we don't do that. So they get out of that, uh, shut the building down, it's park testing today and everybody, you know, let's do it. So they get this anxiety. So, so I, I, I just think that we need more uh, options on how to see the whole child holistically on what they're good at. So the two wraps against uh, portfolio um, testing is one is it's expensive uh, and it's very it's labor intensive uh, to do. Um, the other though is it's subjective, and you know a, a, a teacher or a school is not you know they want their students to graduate. Um, you know how high do they necessarily raise the bar? What the stakes are? You know speak to that. Um, is it is it an objective measure? And I'm asking you, Michael. Is oh, it? Yeah, I'm sorry. that's you. Um, is it an objective measure? Um, and all that feasible? You know, there's a, a, is another question. No, I can absolutely see how a, uh, a central, you know, essentially a department of education. There is absolutely no way you could measure in that central, uh, you know, with a central database sensor, uh, with tens of thousands of portfolios coming in, measuring all, the, you know demonstrating all of a student. Um, yeah, I, I can't see how that's feasible to be a measurement of ability to graduate or earning a diploma. Um, however, I go back to, and I do agree with him, that in some way that is what I would like to see. Um, again, we're getting into the Department of Education tells you the student can graduate or your Board of Education and your administrator say you can graduate. Um, right now, we're just sort of you know, making sure that the state mandates are being met for the State Department of Education to grant us the opportunity to issue diplomas to these students. How much of local control do you have over graduation? None. Literally, almost none. Um, you know, you can set different graduation credits. You know, for example, at PCTI, our students have a 167 and a half credit graduation mandate. In some high schools, maybe 130. 120 is the minimum. Right. Some it's 140. That's about what your level of control is. We certainly can't control the state's testing. I can't control how many hours or courses they're expected to take by the state legislation. Um, so all those things play into it. You know, how do you build a portfolio of all of that and who assesses it? I would love to have a, a local control over evaluating my child and my students and how they are. Um, how that's done, that's a completely different story. You know, but again, we're talking what ifs. What if it wasn't a centralized decision and it was a local decision? Um, certainly local communities support, fund, and you know, take care of their schools and their kids, except in this one aspect, whether or not they believe or the, you know, the school community hired administrators entrusted by the public to make the best decisions possible for a student you know, we do it every day, except when it comes to can they graduate. Yeah. Commissioner, let me, you know, let me first go back to my initial question off of this. Do you think there should be an exit test, exit uh, well, test that's required to graduate? Let me start with that one. Well, first, let's look at, you know, in this position, the regulations. Federal regulations. You're probably not going to go yes or no on this, I guess. <laughs> Federal regulations. <laughs> I'm, se I'm sensing, okay. Right? You're looking at, you know, once three to eight and once in high school. 
right? It doesn't require that it must be a graduation mm -hmm. assessment, right, for graduation. However, it says once in high school. So that means we must assess in high school federal requirements. And I don't think we right now can currently change that law, so we're looking mm -hmm. at once. Um, you now talk about the debate that we had with Park, and obviously um, the debate the Department of Education has had was lost in court. The fact that now we're going back to what the state law indicates, which is one assessment in high school, and that's junior, junior year. So we have to work within which that. Which is required for graduation. Which is required yep. for graduation. We have to work within that, that confine, right? I don't want to, you know, take my personal thing and assume because right now we're working within the confines of the law. However, I do believe we have an opportunity to look at assessment. When we talk about the next generation assessment, you know, the governor was adamant about transitioning from park, park from day one. We're moving away from park. I'm going to say that right now. Um, and we're doing it um, methodically. We're doing it away. We're getting input from everyone, all stakeholders and students from and students alike. So what we're doing, is we want to create the next generation assessment. So what does that look like when it comes to the policies and the laws now, right? So that debate must go on. We must have the debate, whether it's in our education committees, um, at the legislature, whether it's in the state board, and definitely the input from the community and stakeholders and also educators. So we must have that debate to find out as we create the next generation assessment, do we have the policies, regulations, and laws to support the next generation assessment? I think this is our moment. We talk about that paradigm shift. We're now talking more about career and technical and not just single focus in college. So we need to make sure the assessment we create can measure those things and not just be college and career readiness, right? Because I can tell you this, Park has been college ready and we have not looked at the career piece. I think we do a great job when we look at our, take our curriculum and our standards to infuse 21st century mm -hmm. skills in our curriculum. Uh, we're talking about critical thinking and logic. All those things are embedded in our curriculum. And the minute, the curricula, the minute we start taking away from that, then we're putting onus on one assessment. And you talked about, you know, just the school districts having the autonomy to do their thing. I think we must support our educators and the portfolio assessment. Yes, it's subjective. However, a lot of things in education is subjective. We, and we must give, we must trust that our educators will do the right thing. And I think we operate from that lens of doing it. Do I think we need to have some rigor in the portfolio? Yes, I do agree. And as a department, we are looking at the rigor of our portfolio because we want to be able to say, look, when you go through this process, you have met all the requirements by the state of New Jersey. And we want to be able to kind of stand behind it. I think we need to look at that. I also think that there should be pathways. When you have 40% of our, our graduates of last year's assessment graduating um, with without just- Without passing. With, no, that's about 60 something. Yeah, without okay. Passing, but 40 passing ELA and math part. You have 60% of those individuals. Of that, you have individuals passing with um, meeting requirements ELA, but meeting a pathway. So there's different ways. So that's 60% of New Jersey student population that are graduating with alternative pathways. And to me, that's, that's New Jersey. With a diverse population and diverse students, we must have different pathways for our students to graduate. So to answer the question, I don't really have that answer right now. I think we need to be able to I think the question again was, do you believe we should have an exit test or not? I believe that we should have alternative pathways for our students to graduate. Um, we'll, we'll get that to that debate. I'm sure it will as we, we look at the next generation assessor. We're going to have to have that debate. But right now, I think looking at, um, as a former high school principal, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of assessments our students take in high school. I think that high school principals, you have one of the hardest jobs out there, a secondary principal, because you have kids that are going to college. You have to prepare these kids for college, prepare for military. So these kids are taking a lot of assessments. 
and the fact and, that we and, have and I'm, I'm going to push a, a little bit, and they will be taking a lot of assessments in their lives. Um, and you know, there's not alternative pathways to become a lawyer. Um, yeah, but you but you look at now, you know, on average, you can have a student taking three major assessments throughout each year in high school. You tell me what other situation you have. I'm talking, even if you're in the careers, mm. you have three major assessments or certifications for a career in one year. You don't have that. You don't have that in college. So now we're asking our kids. So now you're taking three major assessments with, with um, study aids and things like that to support those kids. And now you have to put an education and instruction in place. When do you have the time to actually have our students learn? And that's what it's about. I think we need to get back to learning. And once we do that, we figure out this is our moment. We talk about with Governor Murphy and his, his vision for education. And I talk about that paradigm shift. So I, I'm looking forward to having the debate in the future about that. How long, roughly, the time, um, time frame for some of these decisions? You've been in office now for a year. Your honeymoon's over. Yes, Sorry. The, the, honey, the honeymoon's uh, over. However, and, you know, we turn around as a curveball. Right? So we, we went a nice trajectory in regards to assessments. We went out and we spoke to over 7,000 individuals. We had 21 counties have countless meetings. So we gathered the facts. So now December 31st, we have the court case, and now we have to change direction. So what I've learned yeah, is that, Year on that one. when you change in direction, you also have to change regulations. <laughs> so now, therefore, there's a process for regulation to get passed and registered to become a regulation. So now our timeline uh, originally was for the 2020-21 season for us to have a new assessment. That's still an ambitious timeline, and my team is going to work hard for that timeline. But every six months, we're throwing a curveball. But I have a, you talk educators are resilient. Well, I have a resilient group of uh, educators that work in the Department of Education. So our goal is to make sure that we have the best product for our kids. But more importantly, the product has been vetted. Vetted through our educators, vetted through our stakeholders, and more importantly, vetted through our students as well, too, to make sure that when we give them assessment, they're going to find value in it, not just the college level, at the high school level, but they're going to find value and want to sit for that test. If you, let me ask you know, your peers here. Um, you have the commissioner here on the record, on film. Um, uh, <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> to make your life, I mean, to address these issues and the challenges you face um, and, you know, the things we've talked about. What would you ask, because you can, the commissioner um, for to help you do that, and, and, or the state as a whole, but, but as a proxy for the state? What? It's right there. <laughs> Hello, Karen. Hi, how are you? I'm <laughs> here for you. Um, you know, I think we, um, you and I have had opportunities to work together on mm -hmm. our, our joint committee with NJPSA and NJASA before you came on board. We talked a lot there about ed educator evaluation. We talked a lot about graduation requirements. Um, I think probably the most important thing that would help our teachers better help our students is if there was some simplicity brought to um, the expectations that are required. You know, as we were talking, I've been thinking about um, what happens if you're at a dinner party with a group of educators and you're the one person in the room who's not an educator? Um, you don't have anything to talk about because when educators are together, educators talk education. They talk about the things that are important to them. They talk about ways to help children. But I don't think that we have enough time in our day for our teachers and administrators to collectively work together to address the issues that are important to our students, to our curriculum, to our individual schools and our districts. Um, in most other fields, 
it is perfectly reasonable for there to be a period of an hour a day when you sit down and you collaborate with the people around you. Mm -hmm. In education, you know, my teachers in my building come into um, five teaching periods. They have one duty period where they're signing students in and out of the bathroom or monitoring cafeterias. Um, and they have one prep period, which is when they're taking care of everything else that needs to occur in the day. And we do PLCs, but we only do them intermittently throughout the month. There's no real structured time available. Um, and I think sometimes it would be so helpful if it was something that was just built into everything we do, that these conversations and these opportunities to collaborate with each other, share best practices, and do it within your actual workday, because it is so critical to what you're doing, could find its way. And the impact that that would have on our students, the ways that it would potentially open up um, opportunities for them, the ways that it would help us develop new programming um, could really be beneficial. Mm -hmm. But of course I say that's on top of every single other item that we've right. been talking yeah, about yeah, here. So, I mean, so it's a tall order. But if you look at that, that's more of, that's more of a local control issue, right? You're talking about collective bargaining agreements. You're talking about time, mm -hmm. instructional time allowed. You're talking about, so those are things. But these all think, enter into it. Yes, but, yeah. but from, from a Department of Education standpoint, that is a local educational thing. But now what we are doing um, is, is, you know, I'm very happy to, to plug, can I plug something, John? Uh, CAR, the Connected Action Roadmap. If I said no, you would anyway. Yep. So. That we're working with NJPSA, NJASA, NJEA, and all the other organizations, really looking at creating these PLC opportunities. So you have, so you have directed and focused conversations. I think more important. I think at times we need to find how do we actually be laser focused on conversations because you know we have limited time. I think we are, and we're creating units, and we we have a, we have engaged about 300 uh, educators throughout. We have our first convening, I think, next week. Uh, I believe it's the next week that's come um, at TCNJ. They get, they're coming together, and we're talking about that. The goal for us is to create units um, so you can actually you know be able to go to an exemplar use that unit that's aligned to the standards and the curriculum and set up. So hopefully that'll alleviate some of those things. And as we talk about the ripple effect, I think it's the regulations, the things that the state board and the commissioner come together, looking at the laws we have in place, making sure that we understand the other end, right? We understand what you're going through and being empathetic of that and trying to make sure that we kind of use your time wisely, but make sure we do it in a thoughtful way. And I think that's what we've been doing and we've done that very well. Um, a lot of feedback is the fact that we're listening to individuals, and more importantly, we are trying to make sense of what comes on out of Trenton. So hopefully that'll, that'll ease up for you as well. Mike, what can uh, you ask of that? I'm, I'm going to be easy. <laughs> um, Thanks, Mike. I have, no, I have to, to say, um, you remember my bias is career and technical education. I'm a firm believer. I'm all in on it. I know what it does for students, special needs, general education. I know what it does and can do and the promise of it. Um, thankfully, Dr. Rappelet, our, our, our governor, um, working with the New Jersey Vocational Council, um, as you can read in the press, that attention and that spotlight is being directed. Um, what we would have asked for years ago is probably um, a, a, a better, um, a healthier respect and real good eye at what CTE can do and what it should be in schools and districts for people. Um, I wouldn't ask for anything other than the continued support for not only the career and technical education schools in the state to continue what we're doing and to be able to show and demonstrate for our communities and for the state uh, what the value is in CTE, that it is not what we remember as VOTEC back in the 70s. That's not what it is. 
It is a completely different uh, species right now of what CTE is. The one thing I would like, um, and I do understand in the comprehensives, is a, a, a better opportunity for comprehensives to establish some sort of CTE programs so that they could also address some of the needs of their students without having to necessarily rely on the costs of share time transportation, doing all these, you know, splitting a kid and, and you know, share time in your school, they're half a day in your school, half a day in mine, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, that there is a disconnect to between two school cultures. Yeah, there's a couple questions about yeah, that. So yeah. for for a continued um, addressing on your part and the governor, and I know this from, you know, from uh, President Sweeney, that the CTEs, uh, that focus for students is imperative to where we want to go with any for the 21st, high, uh, 21st century preparation for our graduates. Yeah. He needs it, she needs it, our students are getting it. But certainly here at Union County Vocational, I'm sure you can see, and I please take the tour to see what CTE is all about. Union Votech is one, there are others out there, including my school, um, but to see what CTE is and what it's not is even more important. Just continued support for where this genre of education, where we are, mm. and to, to be able to open up some avenues for our comprehensives, which I know they can partnership with <laughs> us, but to allow a comprehensive uh, district to be able to make their own investment in a CTE and to you know, sort of you know, make that, that entryway into a program of study a little more palatable for their budgets and for their districts. That's something I think the entire state would benefit from. I mean, so, so a couple of things we have with that. We do have a governor. He talks about the innovative economy. He talks about education being an economic engine to kind of drive the innovative economy. So the attention for us is the innovation. Mm -hmm. Where's innovation come from? Come from my CT courses. But I'm fortunate enough to have our Linda, Dr. Linda Eno. She's our assistant commissioner of academic and performance. Her background in CTE, she was a, you know, she was a founder of one of the uh, schools down in uh, Monmouth County mm -hmm. as a principal. So the lens in which she's operating from, as a practitioner we're talking about, the lens we're talking about, her knowledge of CTE, but more importantly though, not just CTE in the traditional vocational schools, mm -hmm. but CTE in our comprehensive schools. Right. And I think the governor's, you know, his budget as far as computer science for all is mm -hmm. one. We're looking at PT, P-TECH grants, we were partnering with mm -hmm. industry, um, looking at dual enrollment and also career information, career technology. So we're very excited about that, but we understand the importance of this paradigm shift. As I told me, this is our moment, this is right. our season. And what we're doing is that we're making sure through our grants and stuff we have that, these, that the vocational schools are also partnering within our comprehensive schools. And we want to make sure, now how do you do that? Well, you look at certifications. We understand that some of the challenges we have in certifications. So yesterday at our state board meeting, John, we had a first discussion on looking at certifications, making it easier for individuals to get into the field. We feel that sometimes our certification, our regulations are a hindrance, mm -hmm. and we don't want to. We, we don't want to do that. We want to, as we diversify the workforce, we want to diversify the workforce with all types of individuals, not just race and ethnicity, but also individuals coming from the military coming from the career, career field, we want to bring them in. So that would alleviate, so if Akbar is trying to put something together in his school, and he has a teacher that's excited and really want to do something, it's not going to cost money because you already have the teacher. It's being created with the schedule. Now that teacher can go, if they have the certification or the, <coughs> excuse me, the degree, to be able to get an endorsement in something else. CTE. See, that's not how we support CT within the schools. 
Um, however, we're also looking at, I talked about before, SLEs, mm -hmm. option twos. Those are ways that we can actually infuse CTE in there that may not cost money. Right. So as the governor's focus on the innovative economy, um, as the department have leaders that are leading that CTE charge, whether as assistant commissioner, we're actually poised. Um, we have an infrastructure in place to make sure that we can actually provide CTE throughout the state, not just in our technical courses. Akbar, you got the commissioner here. <laughs> Not Alan, but you know. Yeah. No, but, but commissioner, I think you answered a lot of some of the concerns that I had. This is probably you, the governor, probably my superintendent. It's just like transportation, like NJ, uh, transit. No one, like my, my babies, they don't get bus tickets unless they're 2.5 miles away. And if you know that Newark is riddled with gangs, a kid can live a mile away, but they have to navigate through the gang, so it takes them and that was three miles just so you won't mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm, get in mm -hmm. trouble going to school so new jersey transit is just sitting there with these bus tickets that they just throw away you can don't even give us the new ones get us the the, the, the reusable ones give <laughs> us those but these babies are missing first block second yes. block because mm -hmm. i got to take my sibling to school and then i got to walk all the way back to my school west side and it's going all, all around the city and it's like i don't know who to talk to so i'm talking to my commander, <laughs> right? and, and, but but new jersey like you know in, in new york they have the metro all the kids mm -hmm. get metro cars mm -hmm. like why you should not and make it a student card i understand parents may take them and use them as well but we shouldn't be making money off children when we know they're going to school you know so well, i don't know Something I'm, like I'm, I'm actually glad you brought that up because my team is taking notes and we'll take this back i'll make sure that we take it back to um, Diane Scorsese, she's our commissioner of transportation. I uh, make sure we take it to the governor and have that conversation. Um, we also created an office of innovation that looks at creative ways of using title funds. And I think we're gonna get your information. Someone from our team will get in contact with you and sit down, matter of fact, someone will go to your school, sit down with you and you give us your needs and see exactly how we can actually help you plug those needs. We think there's ways that you can use your title funds to get that and we're gonna make sure that we legally can do it and the Office of Innovation will work with you. Um, the second thing, I didn't know that we were supposed to come here with our hardware. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, as a high school principal, I can honestly call it I have yeah. nine state championships. I can I'm feeling, you know, the fact that you had Thank the ring you, shining in my yes, eye yes. right now. I really can't see. So I was trying to answer the question like this, but, um, but on, on a serious note, we're definitely going to um, reach out to you to make sure that we can. And that's anyone that's listening right now. We have an Office of Innovation. Reach out to the Department of Education. And if you have anything that's outside of the box thinking, right? Call us up and see exactly how we can help you. We have an Office of Professional Learning, Office of Professional Development. If you need support in professional development, we're putting on our first SEL, SEL um, conference in May. Um, it's gonna be in a Douglas College, I believe, where we're talking about- SEL being social and emotional, social emotional learning. Social emotional learning. Yeah. Um, really looking at highlighting best practices in the state of New Jersey. We have a, a gentleman that's been going around the state identifying best practices. We're very excited to be able to offer that first time Department of Education, SEL, uh, do that. We also have our, in July, we have July 30th, I believe, and um, I think it's TCJ. We actually having our first professional development conference. It's free. For educators, it's in the summer. It doesn't combine with all the other groups we want to offer in the summer. And have, you know, so we want to be a resource and support to the state, right? When the governor talks about stronger and fair, that fair piece is equity. So how do we address the equity issue across the state? How do you get your children to get on the bus, right? How do you get your kids to make sure that they have industry-level credentials? Mm -hmm. How do you make sure that we alleviate some of the some of the burden that your educators have? 
It's our job as we look at that to try to solve those problems to make a better, to better New Jersey. I always talk about FUBU, right? For you, by you, educate for New Jersey, for us, by us. That's our learning standards, our educators, our assessment. I think we should all be kind of aligned together. So I'm excited about the direction in which we're going, um, but we're listening to people, and I think that's what's kind of driving where we are. So don't forget to please um, somebody reach out to you to make sure we can address some of those issues you have. Thank you, sir. Okay, well on that note, um, we are gonna take a break, uh, or not take a break, we're gonna break. Um, but uh, I wanna thank you all for being here. Uh, I think this is great. I, I really uh, wanna keep engaging with you on this. As I mentioned, we're gonna be doing a series of these conversations and I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure we're gonna dive deeper into uh, certainly some of the issues raised by higher education mm -hmm. and by the business communities. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't even talk about how this infuses down into elementary and middle schools, which I think is a, a key part of the conversation. But I want to thank you all very much. You. Uh, you get a free mug out of that. That's about <laughs> all I can offer. Uh, the rest of you can't do thank that. You. So thank you all for being here. Please take advantage of the um, Oh, also, there is a survey um, out uh, that you were handed when we arrived. If you could fill that out, we'd love to hear it, especially given this is a sort of a new way of doing things, at least for this series. And so please, uh, that feedback is really important to us. Please take the tour if you have the time. Certainly eat the food and the fruit because these kids worked hard uh, to prepare those for you. And again, thanks to Union County. Uh, but it's been great. And um, again, safe travels to everybody. And we'll see you at the next one. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this NJ Spotlight Roundtable program. If you have comments or suggestions, please email info at njspotlight.com. We produce these programs in the studios of StateBroadcastNews.com, a division of the Lubetkin Media Companies in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. For everyone at NJ Spotlight, this is Steve Lubetkin. Thank you for joining us and take good care. NJ Spotlight, news, issues, and insights for New Jersey.